Welcome to Choose Wisely, the podcast where we deconstruct food and sustainability topics with nuance and primary sources. I'm Caroline Nelson, and today I want to talk to you about how I went from feeling like I was looking at the world through a window, like it was TV, feeling apart from it, disconnected from it, to feeling a lot of the times like I'm part of it, feeling plugged in. This switch started happening about six years ago. I have this picture, a selfie I took holding the first three eggs that I ever found in the chicken coop. It was my first time raising chickens. I had bought them as chicks. You know, you lose a couple along the way, raised them for months. And then one day I went out to the coop and I found those first three stunning, perfect little eggs. Sometimes people call them fairy eggs because they're so small. The first couple eggs they lay are always really tiny. (laughs) And in the photo I took, I'm so happy. My smile is so big. That was the same summer that I was also working as a ranch hand. And also I had my first garden, first and last garden, by the way. I keep saying I'm going to get back to it. But I learned so much with just one season of gardening. I learned the gardening lessons. Everybody learns their first time. Plant half as much squash and zucchini as you think you'll want. Prune the basil or it's going to bolt. Corn is hard. Beets are easy. I loved the excess. I was just drowning in vegetables. And then once the weather turned, the veggies were harvested. We turned the chickens out and they feasted on the scraps. And one day I even found an egg hidden under the last of the beans. The chickens were as happy out there as I was. And that summer was really when I first started to feel it, this feeling that I now call the vibrant aliveness of everything. And once I started to see it, I couldn't stop. The cherry tree in our yard making red, bitter cherries to attract birds, my rams fighting for dominance in the fall as the rut approached, flowers blooming, going to seed. Actually, once I realized what a seed was, it seemed like everything was going to seed. What are grains in the cereal and the granola that we eat? Seeds. What is coffee? That comes from a seed, too. What are nuts? Seeds. (laughs) What are fruits? Seed carriers. Rice is a seed. Like, have you ever thought of that? That little grain that we're eating, that's a part of an organism that is trying to reproduce and survive. What are peas? Seeds. In seed pods, (laughs) corn, little corn on the cob, seeds, lima beans, chickpeas, lentils, cocoa beans, the source of all chocolate comes from a seed. Like it's everywhere once you start to see it. Living things fighting to live, to thrive, to reproduce, and then dying. That fall, as the weather became cold, I saw the world around me kind of go to sleep. All the apples dropped off the tree, they rotted, and the birds spread their seeds around. I fed some to the sheep. The seeds, some of them, ended up in the manure. A herd of elk sprinted across the valley, and I'll never forget it. There was a young calf trailing behind with a broken leg who was not going to make it through the winter. And there's just nothing you can do. I heard the coyotes howling at night by the river. Some people canned vegetables in their kitchens for winter. Some went out to hunt to fill the freezer. 
The ranch where I worked at the time also doubled as a hunting outfit in the fall. So guides would take the guests out during the day to try and spot elk or antelope, and I was up there helping cook and clean up after them. One evening, one of the guides came into the kitchen and handed me a knife. They got one. You want to help? He asked me. I knew I did want to help. I'd never skinned anything before, and I was scared, like more of my own reaction than of the actual idea of doing the skinning. I'm a really sensitive person. And I felt like I was being watched. The pressure was on. But this was my chance. Hunting itself never really appealed to me. I, I know myself well enough to know I'm not someone who should be allowed to handle weapons unsupervised. But this part, the processing, had always appealed to me. And you don't get a lot of chances to do this. If I was going to eat meat, I figured I should skin an animal at least once in my life and see how it felt. My friend got the skinning started, and then he showed me how to gently run my knife along the seam where the hide separated from the fat and to pull down an inch or two at a time. For an elk so much bigger than me, this took all my strength. And I kept waiting to feel disgusted, overpowered, repelled. But instead, I felt focused. Locked in, like something deep in my DNA knew what to do. It was instinctual. I had the jitters the way people describe feeling after their first hunt. You feel like you're in this liminal space, a kind of a threshold. It's way different than collecting a chicken egg or picking some peas off the vine. And yet, in some ways, it's not. I was reminded of peeling an apple, of cracking an egg. I noticed how the elk's antlers Reminded me of limbs on a tree and also roots underground. I learned how you can tell the age of a bull elk from the shape and size of its antlers, how they shed their horns each winter and regrow them in the spring, covered at first in velvet, which they scrape off in the trees. Yearlings are called spikes because of their short, spiky antlers. You're not allowed to hunt spikes. I thought of the wolves and the bears and the mountain lions and all the scavengers who also eat the elk. That elk didn't want to die that day. I'm not sure elk have a concept of want or die, but I know they have the concept of feeling hunted, of wanting to reproduce, contentedly munching on a hillside, hearing a twig snap and their ears perk up. I didn't like the way some of the hunters bragged and boasted about their hunts, used it as a way to portray their masculinity, show off. To me, this was somber, sobering. It was raw. It was beautiful. I liked the hunters who spent so long in the woods they learned to hike silently, who didn't take shots they weren't confident in, who could follow blood trails, who didn't have all the fancy gear. The hunters who were invested in whether their freezer was filled with the most wild, pristine meat there is. Like my boyfriend at the time, now my husband. Our freezer was full of only wild game at the time that he had hunted himself, and I was proud of him. Back at the carcass, the organs were saved, the trachea was a gift to the ranch dog, the guts were left for the coyotes far away from where the cabins were. We cut out the back straps that night and cooked them up. Delicious. I touched my own back, feeling the same muscles on myself, and my mind wandering to all the things myself and this amazing animal had in common. The weather was perfect, and the elk was hung in the barn to age. That's the process by which enzymes break down muscle fibers. The flavor gets deepened on the meat. It's not unlike the process of aging cheese, that gourmet taste. I thought of how important the aging and the curing of meat would have been to all the native people who came before on this land, and how it would have kept meat preserved all winter. 
Fall was harvest season for so many reasons, weather among them. Meat didn't rot in this weather. And this was when the herds were on the move, breeding and coming together and making noise. They'd settle down and move to winter range before long. After the elk was skinned, my friend gave me the knife. I still have it. And I've used it many times since, skinning and cleaning sheep hides that I eventually learned to tan. I always get asked, what's it like to raise livestock and then take them to butcher? That must be so hard. I could never do it. Well, I'll just tell you that I'm not any tougher than anybody else. I'm a girl from the suburbs who played tennis growing up and took piano lessons. (laughs) I'm not tough. (laughs) I like to think I've cultivated strength in myself, but I think it's not toughness that it takes to do this. It's something else, and maybe I'm trying to figure out how to name that through this episode. Choose Wisely is brought to you by my small business, Little Creek Lamb and Beef. The first Monday of every month, I pack and ship our beef subscription orders. These are customers who get a box every month or every two or three or four months. And we got the best customer review the other day, so I'm going to read it to you. Brenda wrote me and she said, Hi, I gifted the beef subscription to my husband for Christmas, and we look forward to every single meal we've made out of it. Honestly, these are the best burgers we have ever had, ever. I also love being able to watch the love and passion that goes into the food we are feeding our kid. And I told him the story of how it can all be traced back locally. My only wish is that we did this sooner. Thank you. That meant so much to me. We've been running our beef subscription for a couple years now, and I love custom packing each box. I feel like I get to know each family, who they're cooking for. I learn their favorite cuts, and we're swapping it up all the time, making sure they're trying new things every box. It's so fun. For a limited time, we're offering 10% off your first order over $100 with the code WISELY, all caps. That's WISELY, W-I-S-E-L-Y. Follow the link in the show notes to shop or visit littlecreekmontana.com. It was certainly the big game that first started plugging me into the circle of life that was all around me. But over time, my vision widened and it started to include the smaller creatures around. I noticed fungi popping up in our pastures that we had transitioned to no spray. I learned the vital role fungi play in breaking down organic matter and building topsoil. From the New Yorker article, Secret Lives of Fungi, quote, before any plants were taller than three feet and before any animal with a backbone had made it out of the water, the earth was dotted with two-story tall silo-like fungi called prototaxites. The largest living organism on earth today is a fungus in Oregon just beneath the ground, covering about 3.7 square miles and estimated to weigh as much as 35,000 tons. Mushrooms can nourish us or kill us. Do they have brains? No, but do they communicate? Yes. We don't really know how, though. We do know that they seem to have a trading system built in with trees where they work together to help each other and get resources. Speaking of trees, Robin Wall Kammerer writes beautifully about the groves of pecan trees in her book, Braiding Sweetgrass, which I'll link in the show notes. She explains how mast fruiting trees, these are trees that produce a hard nut like pecans and oaks who produce acorns, they don't have a big production every year. She writes, the trees have to save up for it as a family saves up for a special event. Mast fruiting trees spend years making sugar, banking calories in their roots. 
When the account has a surplus, she explains, then they mast. They go to seed, so to speak, and they drop nuts. But here's what's fascinating. She goes on to say that the trees somehow are coordinating with each other in a way that we don't really understand yet. She says, if one tree fruits, they all fruit. There are no soloists. Not one tree in a grove, but the whole grove all across the country and the state. Another fascinating book about trees, The Hidden Life of Trees by Peter Vollenben. He's German. Hope I didn't screw that up too bad. He tells amazing stories of mother trees caring for their young, sharing resources, of trees who know they're dying and dump resources into their roots for others, of trees who warn others of coming beetle attacks, how tree stumps can stay alive for decades, somehow headless. I'm talking about fungi and trees in these human terms, but their aliveness is likely not something we can ever understand. Even so, I love those TikToks where they listen to plants. They somehow hook up to them and pick up their electronic frequencies. Sounds like futuristic techno music. They all sound different. One mind-blowing thing I learned, I think it was from The Hidden Life of Trees, is that seedlings grown in captivity, so to speak, so like in a greenhouse, they don't grow as well compared to seedlings that grow naturally in the forest. And if they do grow, sometimes those trees never learn to communicate the way other trees do. It's like always an outcast. It doesn't know the language of the trees around it. And then I clued into the quietest, most secret aliveness surrounding us. What's under our feet in the soil? Fungi, bacteria, archaea, protozoa, viruses. It's estimated that a single teaspoon of soil can contain up to a billion bacteria. These soil microbes are responsible for every bite of food we consume on this planet. They're central to all life on Earth. Now when I'm out with my sheep, I feel like I'm checking multiple flocks. The flock of sheep and the soil. How does the grass look? How does the soil look? How does it feel? How does it smell? Does it seem happy? It's just as alive as what walks on it every day. It's not alive in quite the same way, but alive nonetheless. In my mind, in some way, wildness is central to aliveness. The wilder, the more naturally an animal has lived, the less bothered I am by their death. A struggling, weak bottle lamb that I nurtured and infantilized from the moment it was born, I'm heartbroken if a lamb like that doesn't make it. A house cat hit by a truck in the road wrecks me. But a yearling ram who spent his days grazing and fighting for dominance over the other rams, who lived under the stars without a barn, who never knew me as anything except the being that sometimes herded the group to fresh pasture. He has one bad last day, and I can live with that. I don't see death the same way I used to. I've seen it up close. It doesn't scare me like it once did. In fact, I started to see the ways our fall butcher season of the male ram lambs, the ones who aren't quality enough to stay in the herd or to be sold as breeding rams. The way that kind of culling of the herd mimicked the natural way of grazing herds and predators. Young ruminant grazing males are generally kicked out of the herd. They're made to live in bachelor groups until they grow up, can fight their way back into the group through dominance. But most of them will never be allowed to come back or they'll be picked off by predators. I spent a lot of time thinking about death and about eating. (laughs) And the totally unfortunate reality of the very nature of being alive, that our bodies have to subsist on the dead bodies of other beings. We have to kill to live. 
I don't think hunting an elk is the same thing as pulling cherries off a tree, but I don't think they're as different as we make them out to be. And I think there are so many reasons that as a whole, a lot of people right now are not feeling in alignment with the way that their food is produced. But I think a lot of that goes back to not being part of this circle. We are in so many ways mining for foods. We have an extractive relationship with the natural world. You know, imagine instead of picking every single berry that you find on a bush, you pick a few, leave a few, and scatter a few so that there can be more bushes the next year. It's totally different. I get a little offended now when I hear people, even when they're joking, like when they act disgusted by food. Like there's videos of people on TikTok. Like, they're acting grossed out cleaning a chicken. Like, ooh, it's innards, you know? I'm like, don't disrespect that living organism who has died. Don't act like the gizzard is gross. It's not gross. Normalize the gizzard. (laughs) An acquaintance, hopefully one day friend of mine, she's a butcher, and she talks about how the ways that she will portray her work and portrays the animals that she's butchering, she's very thoughtful about that. Like, When she takes photos of, you know, her butchering, she always wants these images to be respectful. She doesn't like humor to be part of the process. It just doesn't feel right. In a similar vein, food waste stats are staggering. It's something like a third of all of our food gets wasted. And much of it is fresh food, like fruits and vegetables. You know, we just buy more than we need. We don't make enough of the food in our fridge and then we throw it away and it doesn't disappear. It gets to get preserved in a landfill for hundreds of years emitting greenhouse gases. (laughs) I know it's not the same, but that's disrespect too. That carrot died, is dying to feed us. Do we think it wanted to get picked out of the ground? Was that the carrot's goal? Have you ever put green onions in water and seen the new growth that comes so fast? It's trying to live. The least we can do is be grateful, and I'm not saying every bite, every time. I happily stop at gas stations and stuff, Pepperidge Farm goldfish in my mouth without a second thought. But as often as we can, and especially when it comes to the animal products, I think mindfulness is really key. The cultures who have gone before us have always had rituals around taking a life and eating. I think we know something is missing vaguely, subconsciously even, when we take a perfectly defeathered chicken out of a vacuum-sealed bag. It was too easy. It didn't feel right. Maybe the solution is to just not eat meat at all. For so many reasons, I don't think that eating meat should always be easy. If my story of skinning the elk feels hard, so it should. It shouldn't be nothing. It shouldn't be trivial. There should be a reverence there. And when I started adding that piece in, that was really the puzzle piece that made the whole food web around me come together and made me feel like I was locked into it. So try this. Take a moment and say thank you before you eat your next meal. Learn the parts and the names of the foods that you're eating. Clean every bit of meat off the bones, make a frickin' stock, and maybe one day try to process a chicken yourself. It might not be how you think it's going to be. It might plug you back in. 
Thank you for joining me today on Choose Wisely. I hope your next meal is delicious and I hope your next conversation is nuanced. Cheers.